Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. So, praise the Lord. Are you ready? All right. I've been, uh, my wife and daughter will tell you, I've been studying and researching and Anyway, praise the Lord. I'm going to do my best. This is our third week in uh, Faith is a Substance. If you don't have a copy of your outline, why don't you raise your hand and I'll ask our meter greeters to get you one. Some in the back here. Um, All right. Over here too. Now there's three pages. Praise the Lord. This, you notice it's three weeks, so uh, you should be okay. Uh, I I pray that you'll read through this and, and really I think if you'll go here, uh, there's a combination of something Karen said, which is really right. God is, um, is equipping, and so He is in charge, right? If, if the Holy Spirit is leading and guiding and directing like He said He would, right, then all of the connections, that's why you don't want to miss when we do a conference here, it's not, oh yeah, let's just bring William Wood here. Now, that's been planned for a year, and God is in charge of His house, and so if you sit out when there's things going on, you miss it. You miss the actual impartation of what you need to be part of the living stones in the house. You miss it. I know there's things that happen, and I'm not trying to be critical of that, but uh, sometimes it's just uh, we need to be in that place of being prepared and equipped. If you're in this body part, what Bishop's been sharing out of 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about being in the body part. If you're a hand, be a hand. If you're a foot, be a foot. Don't try to be something you're not. But if you're in this body, then every joint needs to supply. And all the gifts need to be in operation. All right. So let me, uh, let me dive in. Let, David did such a good job. Where, where's David? He, he was ready to preach. I think you've been listening. So what's the definition of faith? What is the definition of faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So it's the substance. It's not, well, it's another substance, part of the ingredients in the cake of life. Oh, no. No, it is the substance. And so we've been diving into uh, this revelation of what God is going to do in this whole quantum move. And so if faith is the substance, we've been, we looked, in fact, David quoted out of Mark chapter 11. Last week, and a little bit the week before, we touched on the, the five elements out of Mark 11. When Jesus told the disciples, right, after he uh, was upset with the fig tree that didn't produce its fruit, even though it wasn't seasoned for that, he cursed that fig tree. It, it withered at the root system. And, of course, the disciples said, look. And Peter was the one that said, Rabbi, the one thing you cursed, right? And Jesus then goes into it says, have faith in God. That's his first statement. Not faith in other things. Faith in God. And we want to get to a place where we have such grounded faith. You know, when, when I sat down on the chair this morning, I didn't look as, man, I sure hope it's going to hold it. It's like, yeah, those late. I just knew. I just, I've had experience sitting here for about 23 years and uh, maybe not in the same chair, but close. And so... I just had this understanding, revelation, it's going to be all right. I want us to get to a place in kingdom operation, we know who God is. We have faith in God. The first thing you said in Mark 11, have faith in God, right? And we're going to look at some more building on this block. And then he listed a numerous things that have to, and David reiterated on it. 
when you're praying, speak to the mountain. While you're praying, believe what you have prayed for has already been done. And then forgive. We looked at also in Luke 17, that same thing. He said, you can tell the mulberry bush, be thrown into the... Now, I, God doesn't want his mountains and mulberry bushes beat up on by y'all. But what he's talking about is these obstacles that are in your life that seem incredibly, they can't move. I mean, what mountain? I, when I read that, I said, well, that's a real strange thing. Mountains moving and praying. And, oh, God, I'm, my brain goes tilting. He goes, no, it's the obstacle that seems impossible. You, if you will operate, and we looked at the law of faith, right? In Romans chapter 3, verse 27, the law of faith. There is a law of faith that is different. Now, we looked at the natural laws, right? F equals MA, V equals IR, right? And we talked about if you stick your finger and your, your tongue in the socket, you're going to get, whether you believe it or not, it's going to flow. Well, I just don't believe it. Well, try it, and I'll, you let me know how that works for you. Because why? It's a natural course. That's why the woman with the issue of blood, right, in Mark chapter 5, we spent a lot of time on this last week, the woman with the issue of blood, 12 years, spent all of her money, and there was no, she was no better. It doesn't say she was bitter at the doctors, but she's broke and she's in a worse condition. But it says she heard Jesus right? Because faith comes by hearing, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing. She had heard about the one who's able to do exceedingly abundantly above Ephesians, right? And he said, and then she said to herself, she spoke to herself, self, I think if I get up to that master and grab a hold of the talik, then I will be healed. And that's what exactly what happened. And the, the law of faith was so operating in Jesus, you know the story. Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, comes, and his 12-year-old his daughter is near death, right? Near death. Now, that guy had all the money. He had the health care. So you know he had ways. And he could not get his daughter to be well. So he comes to Jesus, falls at the feet of the carpenter, who, by the way, the other rulers were trying to connive how they were going to kill him because the miracles he was doing was upsetting the apple cart. It doesn't matter. If your child's dying, you will go to the place. When you've tried everything else and it doesn't work, you will go find the one who will make it work. And it didn't care about his job description or whether he's going to get the next promotion to the high priest. It didn't matter. He gets to the feet of Jesus and he says, pleading with him, come to my house. My child is near death. And on the way, all the crowds there saying, let's go see this. This ought to be cool, right? And the whole crowd's following him. And while they get there, the woman with the issue does exactly what she said, grabs his talik, and the law of faith operates. It says, and faith and virtue left Jesus, and she was instantly healed. And Jesus, the one who has all power, who created all things, he knows when the download happens. Right? When you load a generator during, right? When you load that thing, also, what happens? Flow happens, right? Jesus says, somebody just touched me. And he goes, yeah. And what does he do? He turns to her and he says, woman, according to your faith, be it unto you. You are well. Man, these are principles that we got to get. We got to get them. We got to get them, right? And so this is what we're talking about. Faith is the substance, right? Well, I want us to look at Jairus for a minute and his wife.
on the way that he hears your daughter has died. So they send word, don't trouble him anymore. Don't bring that guy to the house. They're already got the mourners in place and they're doing their thing. Jesus turns to the father and he says, don't be afraid. Only believe. Now, you just got a report of death. Your daughter is dead. Now, I don't know about you, but that will do something to you. At that moment, Jesus says, don't be afraid. Because why? Faith is the anti-faith. Fear is the anti-faith. Fear brings this anti-connection, right? Anxiety and fear is doubt and unbelief. And so we see this and say, he goes, then he turns and he, talks to, he turns to the crowd and he says, you all stay right here. Now remember, they're walking in the street, they're all coming, gets the report. He says, okay, all y'all stay right here. Mom and dad, you come with me. Peter, James, and John, you come with me. The rest of you stay here. Now, I don't know about the other nine, but they're like, man, they get up to go over the mountain of transfiguration. They get all them. What is that? Hey, I don't know. There are certain things, and hey, so they go, why? He gets rid of all the anti-questioning unbelievers, and then when he gets to the house, he says, okay, y'all clear out. Mom, dad, you come with me. There's no room for unbelief in the house, because we know, remember we saw it in Mark chapter 6, he goes from Mark chapter 5 with the woman with the issue of blood, Jairus, and the demoniac, and then he goes to chapter 6, he says he gets to his hometown, and they didn't believe who he was. Who is this carpenter? He's so familiar, he can't, and it says they were unable to do many miracles there because of their unbelief telling you unbelief is a mess up that's why there are times when i say look if you don't have faith for what we're about to pray for would you mind going out in the foyer because i can only have people here with living stones right now we got to come to that place so that's that place you got to challenge your heart because man there's all of us right even with the father who who brought bring in mark chapter 9 where he brings the demoniac son and the nine can't deliver him and jesus comes down from the mount with the other three peter james and john and he gets all upset what is with this? He says, and his son manifests. Have you ever been in that place? And he's demonic, he's laying on there, he's foaming at the mouth. How long has this been going on? Since a little child. The devil tries to kill him, tries to drown him, tries to throw him in the fire. And he goes, okay, all things. Jesus says, all things are possible. And he says, help me with my unbelief. He will, he'll help you with your unbelief. At least the father was honest, right? And at that point, he cast the demon out. And back at the ranch, in the after-action report, the boys come to him and said, hey, boss, how come we couldn't do that? Because you're faithless. You faithless and perverse generation, how long do I have to put up with you? That's a pretty strong statement for the guys who sold everything and followed him, quit their businesses, and what do you mean, Faithless. I gave you what you needed to cast this demon out. In fact, I commanded you to do it, and you did not do it. And that annoys me. That's a good part where they say, well, teach us then. And, of course, we know what happens, right, over time. So we see that faith really, really matters. Now, let's pick up. Who is this Mark? This is a really interesting. I did a bunch of study this week on who is Mark. If you want to turn to Mark's gospel, we're going to go there. 
But in chapter, well, in the very beginning of chapter of Mark, who is this Saint Mark? It turns out he's John Mark. He's the writer. He is the cousin of Barnabas. Remember Barnabas, who was with Paul and Saul, uh, who was Saul? And it says during that time in the book of Acts after the church, he's, Barnabas is the Jew from Cyprus who converts to Christianity. And it says when Paul and Barnabas, Saul and Barnabas were being prayed for by the elders, the Holy Spirit falls on them and says, separate from me Saul and Barnabas for the special work that I have for them. Right? And so what does, what does he do? He sell, Barnabas sells his property and gives it to the church. And then they go on their first missionary journey. And when they're on their first missionary journey out of Acts chapter 13, there's a young assistant named John Mark who is cousin to Barnabas who goes on the first missionary journey. In the research of the church history, the Coptic church in particular declares that John Mark was the young man at the, at the first miracle in John chapter 2 of the water to wine. They declare he was the one, uh, one of the servants who when Mary said, do exactly what he says, he carries the water jugs with the others while the water is converted to wine. You think that might do to something to this 25-year-old young man who's following, who his, his cousin, his older cousin Barnabas says, this guy is the guy, right? Well, not only that was he the guy who carried the water, we know from Mark chapter 14 that he's also the guy who carries the water Go into town at the Last Supper. Jesus says, you're going to see a guy carrying a water jug. He's prepared the room for the Last Supper. Follow him. Again, Church History says that's the guy who's carrying the water front to the upper room. He'd already prepared the meal. He's also, if you look at John 14, 51, it's interesting, he would write this because he's John Mark who wrote the book. He's also, when Jesus is arrested, he's the one, when the mob shows up, grabs his cloak, and he runs away naked. That's the John Mark. So here he is at age, he's born 5 AD. He dies at 68 AD. At 63 years old, he was martyred. He was martyred. They put a rope around his neck and dragged him because of his faith through the town until he was dead. This was John Mark. But it wasn't without controversy. We know from Acts chapter 15 that he's the one, remember in, in Acts 13, why don't we turn there? You guys are looking at me a little strange. Turn to Acts 13, and you will see in that first missionary journey, Paul and Saul and Barnabas are commissioned in Acts 13. And then it goes on, it says, on the first missionary journey, verse 4, so Barnabas and Saul are sent out by the Holy Spirit they went down to the seaport of Seleucia and sailed to the island of Cyprus, which is, happens to be where Barnabas is from. If you're going to go, go where you know, right? There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogue, preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. Now, you will see later, they show up there, and what happens? There's a, there's a warlock, a sorcerer. Look at verse 9. Saul, who was also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. He turns to the sorcerer, casts the, the demon out of this guy. And when the governor who was present saw what happened in verse 12, he became a believer and was astonished. 
Well, all of this might have been a little tough on this young 25-year-old guy, because in verse 13, Paul and his companions then left for Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. There, John Mark left them. In fact, Paul goes on and says, abandoned them. And it's so such a big rift that in chapter 15, there's this separation between Paul and Barnabas. They argue. Look at Acts 15, 36. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the city where we previously preached the word of God. See how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and waited and wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul disagreed strongly. And they continued in such, in this work, anyway, they end up disagreeing and splitting up. Talk about church separation, right? But now God's got two evangelists working. <laughs> I want you to see that this John Mark was there. He may, and when he writes Mark, notice he doesn't spend a lot of time in the birth of Jesus. He jumps right in. And it's that history of where he was. He was present at the first miracle. He was present throughout. They also say he was one of the 70 that went on the mission trip in Luke chapter 10. Remember, he sends out the 12, they come back. Then he sends out the next group of inexperienced people. And the 72 come out. When they come back, he said, they say, they, they say, even the demons listen to us when we use your name. Right? And you'll notice the book of Mark one-third of the book of Mark, go through and mark it. One-third will say how many salvations they preach the word. One-third is healings, and one-third is demons, deliverance. And he does this thing. He was, he was this place. So that's why when we look at Mark 11, this Mark 11 is a characterization of John Mark, the one who quit the ministry. He says, I'm not going. But later we know from 2 Timothy. We know from 2 Timothy 4.11 Paul, who's now been deserted, he's been in prison, he's now, at that point, he turns to his spiritual son, Timothy, and he says, go get John Mark. He's going to be useful to me. And there's a reconciliation. We know that Barnabas, by history, two accounts, he was, he was martyred. We know that for sure. Barnabas was martyred either by stoning or burned at the stake. Take your choice. <laughs> Yipes. But at that point, here, what, the point of this is St. Mark, John Mark, is the one who started out, this young man who saw a lot, got pulled back, maybe due to discouragement or it's just too darn hard. These mission trips are like, are you kidding me? We got sorcerers and we got all this stuff. And then at the end, he's the one who's at the Last Supper. He's at the garden and he, he's beat up by the mob. He's probably at the crucifixion. It also accounts that he's the man, when Jesus walked through the wall in the house, it was his house. So that account of where this man, John, I'm getting electrocuted right now. So this cloud of many witness, this guy knew, and that's why when we read his, his understanding of how faith works, pay attention. Pay attention. All right. So let's, let's move on. We, we know that if you look at page one of your handout, we're not going to understand that natural laws obey the supernatural. We know that a supernatural God and a supernatural kingdom only can be 
accessed by supernatural faith. And we said that faith is the currency. It's the substance, right? We looked at the three categories of people out of Romans chapter 1. And we won't spend any more time in that. You're either a Bible believer, you're a humanist, or you're an antichrist, one who is not a believer at all, who's a reprobate. And the Romans 1 categorizes all of those. Let's turn to page 2. We, un- we also looked at the building blocks of words. Words are going to build or destroy your life. We know that from Deuteronomy chapter 30. And then we just listed a few things. You can go all, there's a bunch, but it says, life and death are in the power of the tongue. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. Lips of the wise shall preserve them. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Those who control their tongue will have long life. Open your mouth, it can ruin everything. Hello? Not that I've ever said anything nasty to my wife, but I can tell you it ruins a lot of things. And I have to repent. Am I in a good place right now, honey? Yay, praise God. Hallelujah. All right. But she'll tell you, and she often corrects me, says, when I say something that might be a little negative or filled with a little doubt or unbelief, so, Pastor, is that your profession of faith? I know that's like, yeah. But she's right. It's like, come on, practice what you preach, pastor, will you? Okay, so quantum faith and quantum mechanics, quantum physics. Number seven, first I said, realize you're not in Kansas anymore, Toto, right? You have got to recognize if you're going to operate in this level of the third heaven. Paul talks about going to the third heaven. I went there. I didn't know whether I was in body or not. I, can't, I saw things I could not even utter to you. So we know there's a first, second, and third heaven, and so we want to operate from the third heaven because Ephesians 2 says that you're seated with him in heavenly realms. Well, how in the heck can I be here physically and be seated with him? Welcome to quantum physics. I'm serious. That's what this is about. You are seated in a place connected spiritually in heaven because the God of the universe lives in you, right? It's close at hand. And so, if you will access that, um, let me, I want to tell a testimony. I got Mike's permission to share this this morning because it's so iterate. I had forgotten all about it at this point, but it so iterates the Mark 11 principles of faith. We had gone on a mission trip, and several of you were on this trip. We go to India, and while we're in India, we get, we, oh man, there was so much spiritual warfare on this trip. It's probably the worst spiritual warfare we'd ever experienced. There were issues in the team. There was stuff there, and, and the place we were pulling back and fighting against demons, all the Hindu gods, it was woohoo. Anyway, we saw a lot of fruit, but man, it was, a, it was a, a hard one, right? And so we get back, and we're back, what, about a month, Mike? Not even quite a month. We're back from the trip, and all of a sudden, Mike Hogan comes down with this respiratory condition, and it degrades so fast, he ends up in ICU. And we're like, whoa. And so they're treating him, and I forget, it was Dr. Comiscus, I think, was the uh, infectious disease guy I'd met with him, actually. And, uh, and so he's there, and we're praying, well, it's degrading. I get a call on a Sunday morning, probably around 6.30 a.m. from Tracy, 4.30 a.m. I knew it was early. And she calls me, and she's in tears and says, the doctors have said Michael is not going to make it at this point. 
They have called in his son. They're flying him from an aircraft carrier in Seattle area, right? They're flying him in from the Navy because it's goodbye to dad. Gathering the whole family together, they're all coming in, and she's crying to me. says, the doctor just said they don't think he's going to make it. And I got off the phone. I said, no, no, we need to talk, Lord. We went on a mission trip. That man went and spent his money. We went on a mission trip. We fought. This can't be right. This devil can't win this fight. No, and I got, you know, the sword came out, and I went into battle that morning, and I said, Lord, what do we do? I, I need to understand your timing and your strategy. How do we fight this demon? And I called Tracy, and I said, is the whole family going to be at church today? She said, yeah, the whole family is going to be at church. And I said, good. We're going to bring you to the front. And the worship team, I said, we're going to bring the whole family to the front, and we're going to pray for them. And we anointed, and we went. And the Lord said, now, here's what I need you to do. I want you to set up a 24-hour prayer vigil outside of ICU at New Hanover Hospital. I want, I, want, I want everyone on the wall on this one. And I said, okay. And he says, now, there's two men that have had issues with Mike. You get them into ICU, and you work this out with them. I called. One was on vacation in Myrtle Beach. And, you know, this. I can be a real sweet guy. You know that, right? I can but when I, gonna, I, I can, I, when I know I'm hearing from God, you better, that devil better bay. You're going to get your head crushed. Romans 16, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So I call and say, you need to get yourself to, I don't care you're on vacation, thank you. You need to get to ICU and interface with him through the mask. And Mike's weak, and he's actually telling Tracy, I don't think I'm going to make it. And Tracy's not having it. She is not having it, Right? She is not having it. And so, and the other man comes, and, and he comes into ICU because there needs to be unforgiveness dealt with. That, that has to be Mark, six, Mark 11. You can't have any unforgiveness. It's a blocker, right? And so I knew more than they might have known. It doesn't matter. Get in there and pray for him one-on-one -on -one through the mask and the whole deal. Do you know that 24 hours later, this man is standing outside my office, right? And I'm like, I'm like, whoa, Jesus. Come to find out, I think the number, there were Dr. Comiscus, this is part of the background story. He said there were 25 or 26, right? 25 cases of the bacterial infection that attacked him and all of them died except Mike. Now, he came to Tracy, and when this thing was going, he was like, we're losing it. We're losing it. They did a, a, a lung check, right? They did a, did a biopsy of the lung, and they were saying, oh, no, we don't know. And can't, I think my memory right went to Tracy and said, if we don't give him the steroid, he may be dead by morning. But if I give him the steroid and it's the wrong one, I, you got that right? And I, 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 love, I love, she went to him and said, if it was your son, which one would you do? Now, there's, there, there, there's, we don't, we don't shut, but we got prayer bathed in this whole choice, right? The Lord will direct your path, right? So I want you to see all of the principles that operate in Mark 11 were there. Pray believing, faith in God, 
Get the teams together. Lay hands on the sick. While you're praying, declare it. Forgive those who need to be forgiven. Command this mountain of sickness out. That's a walking testimony right now. And the wife that's with them. And don't partner with death. Because they could have said, she refused. I was like, now she's like, that is the Jairus. Right? Do not go in fear. You walk in faith. Now, this preaches a lot easier than it walks when you're in it. I'm telling you. You know that. So this is that place where we've got to gather our ability to believe what God said. There's another one. I'll just quickly go. Brenda Matthews, she's in heaven now. But her daughter Hannah and her husband Alan were here. And one day I got a call. Brenda Matthews, some of you know her. She, Reaching Hearts Ministry was an amazing, was an, is an amazing ministry. It's the one that gives all the balloons and Valentine candies, right, to all the single moms and every Anyway. I get this call. It says she's had a, a heart attack. She has to have open heart surgery. She's in the hospital. I go there. I'm ministering with, uh, with, with Alan and Hannah. She's given this testimony. Brenda was, came here and gave the testimony before. And so while we're there, they do the open heart surgery. The next day, 24 hours, she's crashing. Doctor said, we can't figure this out. She, this, this should not be happening. We can't figure out why. We got to go back in and reopen up the heart and figure in 24 hours, two open heart surgeries? Come on. And like, so we get a vigil going, prayer going outside the, the ICU room. I come home. We've been praying all day. They decide we got to bring her back into surgery. Well, they come out of surgery and they said, we didn't find anything wrong. We can't, we, we don't know what's going on here, but we're losing her. So I get a call from Hannah. She says, can you please come back? So I walk, it was 8 o'clock or 9 o'clock in the hospital. I get to ICU, and there's Alan and Hannah. They're crying out front, outside ICU. And Hannah comes and says, my mom told me if she went into open heart surgery, she would die and never come off the table. I said, what? What did you just say? There's something that, oh, no, 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 no. We need to get, now, the, the, the respiratory tech is in there. The doctors, they're, they're working on her in the ICU. You're trying to get her to stabilize. And her, her, her oxygen levels are crashing. It's like they let us go in because they thought she was going to die before we were done. And we got in, one on the ear, one on the other ear, one on the toe. Alan and I, and, and I, I break that curse right now in the name of Jesus. You're going to live and you're not going to die. All of a sudden, you're watching the recovery, Right? You're watching the recovery of the oxygen levels and all that. And it's like, Brenda got out of that hospital, recovered. The respiratory person who'd worked in the hospital 25 years came and said, I want you to know, told Hannah, I want you to know this is a miracle. I have never seen anyone recover ever from where this woman was, ever, in my experience. I want you to see what you say matters, what you believe matters, what you do in the midst of the fight matters. And so we have got to get to a place where we understand. We understand, right, where we are. Come on. That's what, yes. I just want to say one more um, really quick. So when Michael was in the hospital, the pulmonologist, he's the head of pulmonology, his name is Dr. Lee, was the pulmonologist taking care of him. About five years ago, mom went into the hospital with congestive heart failure, and when I got to the hospital, they had her on a respirator. And I went into ICU with her, and I was staying there, and I'm in there early in the morning, and Dr. Lee 
walks in the door and he comes to introduce himself. And I said, I, I got up and hugged his neck and he was real surprised. He's got all the students with him. And I'm like, I'm Michael Hogan's wife. And that's all he needed to know because he's a major case study at the hospital. And I said, you probably don't remember me. I said, but I definitely know who you are. And this is my mother. And I, you know, he said whatever he said. And I prayed with him right there. And he said, it'll probably take her about a week to get off the respirator. And he came back the next day and said, I've never seen anyone come off a respirator that fast. And she was <laughs> off it the next day. So yeah. I just spoke the faith with him over the situation. I said, you know, you already operate miracles. And I just called it out in him. Yeah. Come on. Are you, are you getting this? I, I trust we're getting this. This has got to be, the first of all, the level of faith in the room is rising. I can feel the water level going up. All right. I want to I dive in because there's more. Let's just let's keep going. In this quantum faith area, if you look at page two, number seven there, you've got to adjust, right? If you're scuba diving, you're in outer space. If you don't know the environment you're in, you die. You've got to learn how to breathe in that environment, right? That's why this operation in the supernatural, you've got to understand how God speaks to you. My sheep hear my voice. The word likes to speak. He is the word of God. So why are we listening? Why are we hearing? Right? He only did what his dad did and what he saw him do. So we got to get to a place where we're in that kind of a conditionality. So all the sin and all the unbelief and all the doubt that crowds out the word, you got to get that out of the life, especially where we're going. Right? So this is this place where quantum faith, number C there, 7C, matter responds to faith and words. Your matter, your physical body responds to faith and words. The matter is made up of atoms, and they know what you believe, and they hear what you say, and they believe accordingly. That is quantum faith in simple terms. Quantum mechanics is the fundamental theory in physics of the properties of the nature of this subatomic level stuff, stuff you can't see. Quantum physics, everything is made up of waves and particles of characteristic frequencies or wavelengths, vibrations. Quantum, in Spanish, is quanta, right? How much? How much faith do you have? Got a mustard seed? That's all you need right now, right? So quanta, how, how much faith? In fact, he goes on, and in Romans 12:3, he says, judge yourself based on the faith you've been given, not on your money, not on your position, not on your degrees. That doesn't matter. In God's kingdom, how much faith? Go and look at it. It's in, Revelation, in Romans 12, verse 3. Measure yourself based on the faith that God has given you or you've been able to obtain through working out your salvation with fear and trembling, right? And so we see this. In fact, this vibration of, if I were to, I'm not a guitar player, can't sing, scary when I dance, if I, were to, if I had John or one of the experts get up here and start playing a, a strumming and a guitar, and there's another guitar over there, that guitar will symptomatically respond on the same wavelength. You can hear it. It'll start to vibrate. If it's tuned to the same, it'll vibrate, right? So there's something about this. So science is discovering the Word of God. We also know experimentally, they're number eight, science is discovering these things. They discovered electrons orbiting a nucleus are not always in particle form. The wave state, like a cloud formation, 
As soon as someone looks at it, it's transformed and comes into reality on that specific wavelength or particulate. In quantum physics, the particles behave somewhat differently to each observer. Now, this is where you start to get your mind like, what? But if you just calm down, according to your faith, be it unto you. You got a mountain, that's your mountain. According to your faith, you speak to that mountain. It's not my mom's mountain, it's my mountain. And so, they know, how is it that they know what I believe? Look at D. How do they know what I believe? They hear what I say and behave accordingly. All these things are coming together. Bombard your plants with death music, heavy metal, and watch them die. Right? Put some soothing, life-giving music around your plants, and guess what? Oh, because the matter in the plants knows what is being said or sung, or whatever, right? When you walk into worship and you feel the atmosphere, like this morning, that last song was like, whoa, what happened? We came into agreement of the righteous one, and there was this, and you know, you can feel it, right? Pay attention. So this is where we are. We're created in God's image. You have authority. Genesis says you were created in God's image. You have authority. Then he said, go and take dominion. You have dominion. That's why I, I got looks last week. I said, if, um, if you knew that your boss was watching you, would you behave differently? Some said, oh, no, no. I said, oh, okay, that's great. Um, let, let, let me put a tracker on you for the week. and let So your pastor goes wherever you go. Uh, don't let that get weird. But anyway, I just, what I'm saying is that once you know someone's looking at you, you may behave differently. That's this concept, an awareness of something greater, someone of a higher authority has just, come on now, you drive down the road and you see a police car on the side, do you check your speedometer? Don't lie in church now. Okay, I'm just saying. So this is, so, so this faith connects us, right? And we have this higher authority. Okay, turn to the last page. Praise the Lord, we're getting there. Faith attracts what you want. Fear, anxiety, what happens when you're fearful or you're going to do something like, oh, going for an interview? You get all the, you get an anxious stomach and everything. Your whole physical body reacts to what you're fearful of or anxious from. Or when you come home and you turn on the worship music and the weekend is here, it's like, ah, your whole body responds to that. Why? Because you just walked into an atmosphere that you became aware of. That's why he inhabits the praise of his people. Right? Come on. All right. And you're going to find out why that's really good for you if you want to live longer. So we see this. that This is that place. Now look, at, um, look at 10. Since uh, we know that you've carried atmospheres, I want to ask you, what kind of energy vibrations are you producing? <laughs> you ever walk in a place and like, Oh, Lord, this place. <laughs> yeah, it's like pay attention, right? We, we said Hebrews 5.14, the mature believers have trained their senses to discern good and evil. By reason of use, King James says in Hebrews 5.14, by reason of use, mature believers have trained themselves to discern good and evil. You can walk into a shop downtown that's got all sorts of witchcraft in it and go, oof. What is that? I just got slimed. Pay attention. The Spirit of God said, watch out, watch out, watch out, right? Pay attention. You might shut it down and say, oh, that's foolish. Oh, no. In fact, today's 
Jennifer LeClaire's study was learn to discern spirits. It's one of the gifts that bishops and pastor bishops have been teaching us, 1 Corinthians 12 on Wednesday. All right, let me move forward. So what kind of uh, choices are you making? Look at 10C. God said in Deuteronomy 30, I give you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. Here we go again. He can't tell us about quantum physics, but he can tell us if you'll obey my word. And I use this example, right? He didn't tell them in the Old Testament that if you touch a dead person or a leper, your immune system will be compromised because the virus will attack you and your, your cells will get, they go, huh? What's a cell? What's a biology? What's? So he said, don't touch them. You just become unclean. But now, years later, since what's happening, that fulfillment of what we, heard, we looked at in D Daniel chapter 12, the last day. Seal up the book, Daniel, to the last day. When you start to see people running to and fro in the earth and knowledge increase, I'm right there. And now, what do we have? They're saying that knowledge is doubling every 12 hours. And I'm like, how is that possible? Because they now have quantum computers. I found that out this week. And this is like, what is that? And so we're going to look at an article in a minute. So when we look at this, it says, what we see is we have a choice. And we no longer these realms that we're talking about, accessing third heaven realities and bringing them to earth, let heaven come to earth. This is the quantum physics realm. And it doesn't behave that way, the Newtonian laws of gravity and all that, until you pull it here by observing it or speaking to it or believing it. You then bring all things are possible to those who believe, right? So, all right. So when we look at this, look at F. When you hope for something, where does that exist? It exists in your mind and your heart, right? Can you go measure it? Go measure my hope. It doesn't, it only exists in the possibilities, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Romans 4, 17, calling those things that be not as though they were. So there's this thing where we have the ability to bring those possibilities. I believe the reason Michael Hogan is alive today is his wife refused to cave, and there was a group of people that said, no, this can't happen. Right? What's the odds? One out of 25 live? Come on. So this is, this, uh, what do you hope for? Well, it's the possibilities. It's, you see there in 10, in 10 F, it says, it appears when the observer gives substance to the hopes and the dreams. Romans 4, 17, call those things that be not as though they were. The faith language of the quantum theory, it's not name it and claim it. Okay? It's not that. There's a lot of name and claim. We're going to have riches and, you know, it's not that. You, you, we covered enough of that, right? This faith language of quantum theory is not that. The greater works will you do, John 14. That should be 12, not 120. John 14, 12 says, I go to the Father, greater works shall you do, because I go there to the Father. And then we know, there's another scripture. Remember in Galatians 6, 7, God will not be mocked when a man sows, a woman sows, they shall also reap. 
You sow hatred and racism. You sow perversion. Guess what? You reap that. You sow love. You reap that. And so, again, this just fits. I mean, it's amazing how the Scripture fits, right? In summary, there's a supernatural realm governed and operated by the law of faith. All things are possible. Your words create or destroy, and you were created in Christ for good works. Now, I've been getting happy every morning, getting up, and I've got I to share these with you. So in our remaining time, I want you to, because science is uncovering, like, I'm trying to figure out, how does, how does knowledge double in 12 hours? Now, I told you, when I worked at uh, Nuclear Power, Knowles Atomic Power Laboratory, when I first got out of college, we had supercomputer rooms that they would do all the functionality of co- uh, reactor cores, trying to figure out how you're going to fuel a submarine so it would last the life of the ship, and, or the uh, aircraft carrier cores. So they had all these massive supercomputers, and, and now <laughs> the, what's happened is knowledge is increasing, doubling. Well, now with these quantum computers, I don't know a whole lot about them, but let me give you some snapshots of what I've been looking at is what is science telling us that the Bible already told us. <laughs> Let's deal with this one first. The strange link between human minds and quantum physics. Nobody understands consciousness or how it works. Nobody understands quantum mechanics either. <laughs> Could there be a coincidence? Example, when you go to sleep tonight, you go into a subconscious state, you're asleep. You wake up in the morning, and God help us, you remember who you are. You remember who's in the bed next to you, I hope. Praise the Lord. Right? Well, we have another matter to talk about. And so, you know where you are, where you're going, what your plan is. You already know where you've been, what's your history. Right? Consciousness. Would you please tell me, where does consciousness come from? Go ask Pastor... uh, Dr. Tony, we don't know where heart signals come from, right? There's a cardiologist over there. And you go, where does the electric signal to your heart come from? Uh, some magnetic field, electric field, theories. It's like, what? And, you know, when it gets out of whack, they do things to it, right? Sometimes they, now I'm way outside, my, go talk to Tony. They, they cauterize it, right? Sometimes they put a little fire on it, right? To, if it's beating irregular, they got medic. Some of us need a cauterization of our minds and our hearts to get us on track here. And so this, again, consciousness is, you, there's a lot of this they cannot explain. When you see someone in a coma, my mom's got a testimony of a woman she witnessed to who wanted nothing to do with her on the testimony when she was working at the, as, at the hospital in, in uh, Brookhaven Hospital in Long Island. She ran the chapel for years. And... This woman died, was in a coma. She wasn't dead. She was in a coma, and the Holy Spirit said, go find her. What was her name, Mom? Heidi. Heidi. Go get Heidi. Well, she gets to the house, finds out, and they got all the liquor bottles out there, the family. She's being hospiced in the back room in a coma, waiting for her to die while they're partying. You know, we've got to comfort ourselves. (laughs) Great. And so Mom gets in there, and Heidi sits up and says, I've been... Honey, honey sits up and says, I've been waiting for you to come. And she prays with her, goes back into the coma and dies. 
shortly. And of course, the whole family runs out like, oh my gosh, they'd left their liquor bottles, but they ran out of the house like, oh my Lord, who is this woman, right? She went, but she did die eventually, right? Yes. She, yeah. So what's the point? When people are in a coma, Pastor Terry will tell you, we believe that they can hear you even in that subconscious state, right? Because they're still physically alive. And so this understanding of what is consciousness, you know, let me just give you a quick couple of things here. It says, this American physicist, Richard Freinen, the notorious puzzle that paradoxes between quantum mechanics, the theory of physicists, and what is linked to consciousness is a knotty problem. <laughs> that means we have no clue what this is all about, right? The preeminent puzzle between consciousness and what researchers now invoke quantum physics to try to explain it. For one thing, the mind seemed to be great discomfort for physicists to force their way into quantum theories. What's more, quantum computers are now predicting and being capable of accomplishing things ordinary computers cannot, which reminds us that our brains can achieve things that are far beyond what even artificial intelligence can do. So now they're discovering quantum consciousness. Well, it goes on. It says, then he, he deals with this observer effect, which we talked about. Remember, when you look at something, it's now drawn into that reality. You've pulled it into a, from a possibility or probability into this location. When this observer effect was first noticed by the early pioneers of quantum theory, they were deeply troubled. It seemed to undermine the basic assumption behind all science, natural science, and the objective, and the objective world, and irrespective of us. It's the way the world now behaves, and it depends on how or if we look at it, and we can re turn reality into this. All things are possible with God. So there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff in this article. Then the observer effect in quantum physics. In physics, the observer effect is the disturbance of an observed system by the act of observation. When you focus on your mountain and you stop bombarding it, it starts to move. <laughs> this is what they're saying. It's this altered state of what we measure in some point. The conscious mind can directly affect reality. I know some of you are probably glassing over on this. Uh, it's exciting to me, but anyway. Um, wave, wave, wave function collapse. Wave function collapse is initially the supposition. Th th these, th these guys look for big words. Initially in supposition of several eigenstates. Basically, there are different energy levels. And it reduces to a single eigenstate or single energy level due to the interaction with the external world. The interaction is called an observation. And it varies by who's looking at it. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Calculation of quantum decoherence shows that when a quantum system interacts with the environment, it apparently reduces to a mixture of classical alternatives. It moves from the supernatural to the natural realm. That's what these fancy guys are trying to tell us. All right. Quantum physics in neuroscience and psychology, the neurophysical model of the mind-brain interaction. Now, this is a really interesting article. It says that, in, in essence, neuroscientists consequently have reasonably good working knowledge of the role of the variety of brain areas in the processing of complex information. Remember I told you last week, they, they've now been imaging the brain. So they can look through imaging techniques now, what quadrant of the brain is behaving right now? And they would expose that person to an event, and that brain function would open. 
and they can look at the highlights of that in the brain functionality. And so what's interesting is, this to me is exactly what Scripture says. In 2002, they willfully introduced brain changes in the environment and generally accomplished through training and applied use of cognitive thinking, they could appropriately change circuitry recognition within the brain. What's that mean, Pastor? I believe that this is 2 Corinthians 10, 3, 6, 3 through 6. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty to the pulling down of demonic strongholds, taking every thought captive and bringing in its subjection to Christ, Right? Romans 12, 1 through, don't conform to this world. Present yourself as a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind and letting God change the way you think, and he will show you his perfect plan and will for your life. What they're saying is, we've been able to have people train their thinking and affect what's going on inside their brain structure. And so, what said... Quantum dynamics must be used in this principle to maintain rational consistency. So they've been training people who have had issues, PTSD. Now they, when you set your thoughts, Philippians 4, set your thoughts on what is pure and holy and right and good. Well, what happened? I, I told you, I said, when there's this study of epigenetics and child development, how child experiences affect or change their genes. This is a warning to us. You let children watch all sorts of horror movies or murder films or, you know, play all these games of killing everybody, guess what? You're going to sow into that. You, parents, I know this is hard. Man, I've, whew. But there's an effect. This, um, this is Exodus 20, verse 5, or Exodus 34, verse 7. The sins of the father shall visit or affect the family to the third and fourth generation. Those who are in sin, transgression, or iniquities. Those who hate God. Those who live in that place of hatred towards God. They are the ones who are the reprobates. They are, he can forgive anything. You read that in Exodus. He'll forgive. He's faithful, right? Because love conquers to a thousand generations. But to those who are in that place of reprobate hatred towards God and who have sown into sin, they affect the family to three and four generations. Because you have altered those. And when you're speaking over children, or you're speaking over your spouse, or you're speaking over your business, or you're gossiping about your church, or you're tearing down your boss, there are consequences to those. That's why he says, no gossiper shall inherit the kingdom of God. Come on. We got to get this down in our brain and start operating. All right. This was a positive. All right. Ready for positive? Neuroscientific look at speaking in tongues. I introduced this last week. They looked at people who spoke in tongues. They wired up the brains, and they found out that the women who spoke in tongues, the quadrant of control and thinking was not activated. They said this, the women were not in blind trances, and it was not unclear where the region that was being activated, what was the source of this behavior? The psychiatry folks looked at it in even deeper understanding, and they looked at a 1,000 women. <laughs> That's kind of wild. First, they thought people who spoke in tongues were, um, well, they were loony. They just, those people are demonized. You know, that, why has tongues been under attack since Acts chapter 2? Because <laughs> it's power. Paul said, don't forbid speaking in tongues. I do it more than all of y'all, right? Okay. 
pray in the Spirit at all times, under all occasions, right? Because he found out that these thousand women that they studied, they weren't crazy. In fact, they were more emotionally stable than the women that had not been studied. I mean, that did, had not spoken tongues. So tongues matters. And the other thing they found out is the brain function of those who speak in tongues is different. It's a bigger quadrant. I don't, I don't know what the hell that works. Then I gave you the negative one. This is one that those who regularly look at porn, they called it um, those who are addicted to porn. There's, they looked at the brain functions to addicts who are involved in any form of addiction and what their brain functionality looked like. And then they looked at those who were problematic users of porn. And guess what? Their brain function is different, and they exhibit the same characteristics of addiction. That's why I, I do ministry, prayer ministry, on people that are addicted to porn. You got to be careful what you watch. When you partner, when that door opens, and you partner with the spirit of lust or seduction or adultery, guess what? What you partner with, God will not be mocked. What you sow, you shall also reap. You wonder why your marriage is falling apart? Well, that might be something. What are you thinking about? What are you watching? What are you engaged in? Because it responds, the atmosphere responds to what you're doing. And you have a choice between life and death, prosperity or disaster. The choice is yours, and heaven will witness the choices you make. Deuteronomy 30. This is, okay, all right. Now, this, is, this one is like, woo hoo 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 The supernatural gateways of darkness. What you're about to read is an accurate account of the details of the activities that led to the death of Anton LaVey, who was the founder of the First Church of Satan in Los Angeles. This is, an, this is not an article for the weak at heart, okay? But this guy was planing and channeling into darkness and came against the church to kill the woman. She was actually being going to be used... She was raised and used as a satanical ritual abuse. He was going to impregnate her, and they were going to have a child of Satan. And this is how this pastor and the church team went against this thing, and it's a whole dramatic story of like, oh my. But the, if you don't think devil and evil is real, man, come on. Go on a mission trip with me or come to prayer ministry. We'll let you see something. All right. This is, I'm going to end with the positive. It's just noon. Okay. People, I, sh I shared this briefly last week, people who are in religious affiliation live longer. Several studies show between 4 and 9.45 years, those who are regularly in church and regularly volunteering live longer and healthier and happier. Now, you might say, well, duh. I mean, <laughs> but it's like, that's why when he said in Hebrews 10.25, do not forsake the assembly of yourselves together, especially as you see the day of the Lord drawing near. You're going to need each other. And something happens when we all get together and we worship the King of Kings and we forget about us and we focus on Him and my molecules and all that start responding to the King of Kings who is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When you dip in the river of life, guess what? You get some life. And so I just want to encourage you, this we're on a journey with this whole arena of quantum faith and physics, and we, we have only scratched it. They don't really understand everything that's going on. But I want us to stand at this point. I want to pray with together. If you would all just kind of join in with me together. Maybe, if you're willing, just kind of 
Put your hands out like you're going to receive a little gift. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. Lord, we, we know that you work and you love all your people, regardless of where we are in the journey. But I know that you want us to play, operate in this place of faith because you said, when I return, will I find faith in the earth? Because Jesus warned us in Matthew 24 and Mark 13, Luke 21, that in the end, the love of many would grow cold, that evil would, would be rampant everywhere. Hatred, murder, calling those things that they think are good actually evil and evil good. And just, Lord, I just ask now, Father, that you would separate all those that are under the sound of my voice now. We thank you for your mercy. You said surely goodness and mercy would follow us all the days of our life. I'm asking for an impartation that you would bring a revelation. Paul prayed in Ephesians that the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ would be ours. Jesus said in John 17, I'm going to the Father. I'm in him. He's in me. You're in me. And all those that the Father has given me, I want them to know you. They know me. And then he goes on and says, I will continue to reveal to them. I'm asking, Lord, for dreams and visions and revelation. The gifting that Pastor Bishop is imparting revelation on on the Wednesday nights, that we would have a church body that is well sharpened in their instruments. Those giftings that every joint would supply, but those gifts without love, he tells us in, in 1 Corinthians 13, without love, it's, it's just a bunch of noise. But with love, all things, and faith, hope, and love will endure. So we want that enduring 1 Corinthians love of faith, hope, and love. That this body would be known both already for its love, its giving. We had 24 volunteers at House of Mercy the other day. God, I thank you. The overseas words that come back from our missionaries, the amazing stories, faith, hope, and love. So Lord, impart now that mixture of this people so that they can walk out to that mission field and release that love to a people that are needing to know who Jesus is. So we bless what you're doing, Lord, and we thank you now. In Jesus' name. Yeah. Before we leave, I just want to ask you to pray. Katie's reminding me. Um, Evelyn Wilson's son, Gino, was shot and killed yesterday. He was he was robbed. It was it was his it was his store. Someone who had my understanding this morning was someone who had revenge against him for being let go came and shot him and killed him. And the police then shot the individual. I don't know his status. So if you'll pray for Evelyn, she's been a faithful warrior, and there's just no words for the loss of a child like that. It's only by Jesus. So we want to just pray right now for Evelyn and the family. Lord, we make intercession that Psalm 23 would be the shepherd who comforts now as they walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And Lord, we thank you right now, Father, for peace 
in the midst of this, that you'll turn this tragedy into a glorious testimony. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. Have a great week. Thanks for being here.